and welcome back to another episode of Hot Mess Podcast. I am your host, Matilda Johnson, and today you could say we're getting messy, you could say we're getting deep, this is not a date episode. So today it is a solo episode with me, myself, and I, and we will be discussing mental health, but kind of in a way that I haven't previously discussed it. I know in season one I did touch on it a fair bit and it was a lot about personal growth and development and learning how to handle your feelings and like in certain environments. But I think I'm just at such a different point in life currently. And this was actually requested by my friend Molly. Uh, She and I were having a really great conversation about mental health a couple of days ago. And she was like, I feel like this is something you should discuss again. And because I'm such, I'm such a different person to even who I was at the start of this year. And the way I handle things is so different. And so I think there are things that I'm also more open about than what I used to be. And in last season, there are certain topics surrounding my mental health that I wasn't really willing to discuss. But I think I'm at a point now where I'm like, oh, no, you know what? I think this is something I do want to share. And if it helps somebody in some way, then I'm grateful for that, as there are people who spoke out about their mental health that really helped me. So let's just go with the flow and see where it takes us. But so this is a trigger warning. It will be touching on topics including anxiety, depression, and eating disorders. Uh, So if that is something that makes you uncomfortable or you don't think this is a topic that you should be listening to for your own health and safety, then I do suggest this is not the episode for you and we can join you in the next episode for a much more lighthearted conversation. So I think the best place for me to start this conversation is by actually taking us back to where I believe my issues surrounding mental health began. And that was when I started at my second high school. So it was going into year 11, VCE studies, new school, other side of the state, Uh, didn't know a single person. And I, I guess you could say like, I wasn't a super anxious kid. Like I'd get a little bit stressed here and there and I would express that. However, as soon as we moved towns, I began having panic attacks almost every single day. And I don't think I realized until after high school that they were panic attacks. I think I don't really know what I thought of it at the time, but it was just like I was overwhelmed and I would just kind of push it under the rug, which of course is like difficult for any teenager. But yeah, I kept it very hidden at the time, but most days I would be having panic attacks after school and I started not doing very well in school either. I wasn't getting good grades. I had to reset tests, which For me, I was also quite ashamed of because I always really took a lot of pride in my studies and how well I did in school. So it was very unlike me. And 
So it all started off with a bit of anxiety and it really did build from there. Uh, I'd say year 12, honestly, it lessened, which is a surprise. I was not as stressed during year 12. But then once I graduated, I went into full-time dance training. And for anyone who has experienced full-time dance training, they can also probably attest to this and how rigorous and isolating and mentally draining it can be. And I guess you could say the same thing about any elite athlete or sport. Anyone training to become an elite athlete has probably experienced this. And also you experience this in many different forms, but dancing was something I knew was going to be a bit toxic going into it, but I don't think I understood the extent of that. So much so that I remember in year 12, my careers counselor, she was sitting down with each year 12 student and asking what we were planning on doing once we finished school, where we were going to go, what we were going to study, etc. And she sat me down and I said, I got into full-time dance after auditioning at a few different places. And she said to me something along the lines of, if you go to full-time dance, you will get an eating disorder and severe mental health issues and like low confidence. And I was like, whoa, 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 fuck you. But like, like I laugh about it now because I'm like, she was correct. But I was so determined to prove her wrong. I've just got that kind of personality where I'm like, I'm going to show you that this is not going to happen. And then instead it actually all ended up happening. The interesting thing about me entering full-time dance though is that I never recognized the severity of my mental health until after I left. And I feel like this is the case for a lot of people. And I knew while I was there, I was like, well, I've got anxiety. I know I have anxiety. I've had anxiety since I was 17, like 16, 17 years old. I know this is something I already deal with and my experience in full-time has just heightened that experience. So I ended up going on St. John's Wort, which is a herbal medication to help relieve stress and anxiety. There was a part of me that didn't want to be on antidepressants and didn't want to be on any anti-anxiety medications because I think I was just so in my head about what that meant and how that would actually mean that I had things that I needed to deal with that I was avoiding. I had a very avoidant energy towards my mental health. But of course, while I was at full time, my anxiety became much more heightened and the pressure was really turned on because of how competitive it was and the type of teaching style we received every single day. And Shayla and I kind of touched on this in our last date episode about how when you're in dance, you're in front of a mirror every day, you're taught to compare yourself to others because they think that's the only way you're going to get anywhere and succeed. And it's very rare that you're told you're doing a good job. You're constantly told to do better or what you need to work on. And so you just kind of start to learn to see the negatives in yourself and every situation you're put in rather than ever congratulating yourself. And I think that's where a lot of my problems stemmed from is the lack of recognition of the fact that I was 
okay and doing a good job. And instead it just made me have a very low self-esteem and made me feel like I wasn't a very valuable person. I was also living out of home for the first time. And like most people, when you move out of home and start going to uni, you don't really take care of your body the way you should. And so without even realizing it, I'd say this time it was when I started rapidly losing weight. And I think a lot of that would just mentally be me being like, oh, but I'm dancing every single day. Like it's bound to happen. And then sorry TMI and sorry to my male listeners who might not enjoy this part of the conversation, but because I'd lost so much weight, I lost my period and my hormones were really out of balance and I just, my body was not functioning. Um, There was a time where I ended up in hospital because I was underweight as well as just really, really sick with an illness that I could not recover from because my body was not processing nutrients properly. And it just had a lot of flow on effects. But at this time, I never really recognized the fact that that was an eating disorder. And again, this isn't an unusual experience. You see this in almost every dancer I know has experienced an eating disorder one way or another. There's many different types of disordered eating habits. And then there's of course, bulimia, anorexia, binge eating disorder. There's many different variations of it. At this time, the best way I would have described it was a very small version of anorexia. I was not eating enough and skipping meals because I was wanting to lose weight. But I also just had very, very bad body dysmorphia. And it's so easy to do when you're in that sort of environment where you are in front of a mirror every single day. You no longer really see yourself as losing weight because you just get so used to the way you look and so used to the way the people around you look that you never really face those changes. And I feel like the only reason I knew I'd lost a significant amount of weight despite, like, aside from being really sick was when I would go home and see my friends and family and they would comment on it. But it honestly just became such a normalized part of my life. And I had had friends and family previously who had dealt with eating disorders and I never thought that that was going to be something that would happen to me. And by the time it did start actually happening and I did kind of mentally block out the fact that it was happening, I was just so against like recognizing my own health concerns and also like everyone around me was also dealing with very similar situations. I think almost every day you would hear of somebody being sick at the studio or the use of laxatives was completely normalized, which is god awful. Like you would hear about people prolapsing because of laxative abuse and all of these really, really awful things that just shouldn't be happening. Mind you, this was all just within, I'd say, my first year of full-time dance. And I'd say also because it was my first year that I really got into the mindset of, well, this is how the industry is. And if I want to be successful and if I want to get picked for certain roles or cast in certain shows, then I do have to look a certain way. And in my mind, that meant 
lose more weight, get skinnier because you will get hired if you're skinny because that's what the industry looked like to me. In my second year, my anxiety was rife. It was absolutely atrocious. I would have panic attacks. Most days leading up to shows, we had this thing called a lockdown period where we wouldn't be able to work external jobs or go home and visit family. We were at the studio pretty much 24-7 for almost two months leading up to shows. And the pressure is super high. And I think almost every day I would be having panic attacks and just not recognizing the fact that this is a serious concern. In my mind, I was like, I'm just really stressed out. And then by the time third year rolled around, I had the sense that I was very comfortable in in myself. And I thought, well, the worst is over. But I think I really shut people out during this time, which is not helpful when you're trying to get over any sort of mental health issue. And if anything, I think it's what made it worse for me. I hardly went home and saw any of my friends or my family. I think in my third year, I maybe went home three times. And when COVID hit, I decided to move back home with my parents because I just graduated dance. There was nothing in the dance industry happening because all the theaters were shut. Every show was shut down. And I was like, the only thing I can do is go home. Now I'm sure everyone remembers. It's hard to forget the mental strain and emotional turmoil that everyone felt during 2020 and the effects of COVID-19, the anxiety of the pandemic, and then the fact that you're home alone or, well, for some people you were with friends or family or whoever you resided with, but you were really stuck with your thoughts and feelings during this time. And so it was difficult for everyone. I don't want to at all suggest that I had it worse than somebody or like, or it wasn't that bad of a time because nobody was having a good time during COVID. And I think we all need to be really self-aware of the fact that it wasn't even that long ago. And so if you think you're still recovering from the experience that was COVID and the year 2020 and everything that happened within that year, that's totally normal. And it is okay to still feel anxious or feel like you're catching up on life because of that. For my experience during COVID, this was really a time of reflection of what my training had been and how it affected me. And it was kind of the time where I realized that I was not okay. And there was an article that my friend Jessie O'Meara wrote And she went to full-time dance with me and left after our second year due to her eating disorder. And I am hoping to have her on the podcast soon so that we can discuss that and make this kind of a two-part episode. And I think she's got an incredible story about recovery 
but it wasn't until I read the article that she shared online that I recognized that everything I'd been doing to my body was a form of self-harm and also an eating disorder. This was the first time I recognized that I had had an eating disorder. And I remember the exact moment I finished reading the article, I just burst into tears. I think it was around 4 a.m. During this time, I also had very severe insomnia and, you know, as you do. And so I burst into tears and then just kind of cried myself to sleep and got up the next morning, went to my mum's room who she was at home. She wasn't able to work during COVID either. And I just burst into tears and I explained everything to her and what the last three years had looked like for me. And mum felt awful, of course, as you would as a parent trying to protect their child and also wanting what's best for them. I do feel sad about the fact that I hadn't had these discussions with her earlier because I can only imagine the stress that I'd put on her during this time as well. But she was obviously really upset because she felt like she hadn't protected me. And she said to me, she knew in my third year that something was wrong because of the fact I wasn't coming home and that I was really isolating myself And when she would see me each time, it was like I was another 10 kilos smaller and she didn't know how to help me in that circumstance. And it's hard on a parent to see your child like that and feel like there's nothing you can do because they're an adult and they're doing what they think is right. And they've got mentors who are telling them that they're doing the right thing. And so... I this is like an open letter and apology to my mum for not being open about everything. But yeah, it's I that's something I really do hold on to a lot. But I think what is important and what I think is the first step to actively working towards recovery is telling somebody. And so being open and vulnerable and telling my mum about all of this was a step in the right direction for me. Almost immediately after that, we booked an appointment together for me to see a doctor and have a mental health plan. And this was intimidating. And it is for anybody who decides to seek help. And so went to the doctor, explained my situation. And, you know, of course, again, being 2020, I know a lot of people went through this where they were getting prescribed antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication and various other things to be able to deal with being at home with their emotions so much. And that's what ended up happening to me. I ended up getting antidepressants as well as sleeping medication because I had insomnia. And it's like... It, it was interesting for me to be medicated because it was something I'd obviously for years tried to avoid. And then on top of that, I think I've got a very addictive personality and you're not the type of prescription medication for sleeping pills that I was given was highly addictive. 
And I didn't want to grow a codependency on them knowing that I had this sort of personality. And so I was prescribed temazepam, which is pretty intense. And I did grow a bit of a codependency. And so I was learning to deal with mental health whilst also trying to wean myself off of prescription sleep medication, which was really difficult. Now, this is a hot tip for my friend Molly, who asked me about this the other week and what really got the ball rolling about our mental health discussion was sleep medications. Um, Because, you know, the girlies who get it, get it with the insomnia. So I've been through the ringer with sleep medications. I've tried a lot of different types. I'm trying to now avoid ones that are over the counter because for me, like even melatonin, I wake up groggy and I just don't feel good. And I feel like it really sets me back mentally. And so Molly was asking me which ones I use. Now I'm just using, hold on, I've got some right next to me. I've got the Swiss Relax and Sleep Valerian Free Tablets. This is not sponsored. This was literally just Molly asking me what I use. And then on top of that, previously, which I think I actually prefer, is the Swiss Magnesium Sleep because it also helps me relax my muscles in the evening. Anyway, that was a fun side note. Also, just a reminder, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I am not a pharmacist. This is just me talking, unsolicitly giving advice. That's all. And on top of that, if you're going to be taking any sort of sleep medication, please see a doctor first. Any medication in general, please see a doctor first. And even if it is not an over-the-counter type of medication, if it is a multivitamin, like the ones that I just said, read the fine print, because sometimes they don't work with other medications. It's the same with how I mentioned St. John's Wort earlier. If you're on St. John's Wort, sometimes for women, does not do well for the contraception that you're on. So lots of different things to consider. Or if you're on any other medications, you know, you need to read the fine print of these things. But ultimately being at home with my parents and being open with them about where I was at mentally really helped me with my recovery because For a while, I did get to be a child again and be taken care of. And I know that can't work out at all times. And you do have to be independent and you do need to learn to take care of yourself. But I think at this point in time, I just really needed to be a kid again. And for me, that meant mom and dad were able to make sure I was eating and make sure I wasn't over-exercising throughout the day. And they, you know, weren't (laughs) allowing me access to... I hate to get TMIE again, but I wasn't able to access laxatives and all these other things. And it's a small house. They'd be able to hear me if I was doing anything that was harmful to my body. So they were very much able to know if I was okay or if I was not okay. And I think the side to recovery that isn't discussed enough is the fear of putting on weight that you actually need to put on. Because of course, like you're scared to be gaining weight because in your mind, 
that's not a good thing because of what we hear in society and what we perceive as being quote-unquote fat or the shame of being larger than what we think we should be. And I've always been a girl with hips and a bum, but I just never wanted to embrace that. And recovering meant I had to look at these things on my body, which I thought were my flaws and like the downside to me and the parts that I didn't think were attractive and that I thought other people didn't think were attractive. And I had to learn to just accept it. And that's the hardest part for me personally, is just being like, oh, well, it is what it is, you know? And that's something you do have to work at mentally every single day. And that's something that you can never really stop trying to accept or learn because then you will fall back into unhealthy habits and patterns. And so every day when you're waking up, you have to choose recovery and you have to say to yourself, I'm better today and I will be better today and I will be better tomorrow and I still love myself and I'm doing things that are healthy for my body and I am perfect as I am. And in saying that, recovery doesn't happen overnight. I think that was a very brief summary. Brief? That that was not brief. That's a summary of probably where all my mental health stemmed from. And I'm very lucky in that I have been able to work really hard at it over the last few years, since COVID especially. And I'm lucky in that, like, there are all these positives now where I'm like, I've got my period back. I've gained weight again. Am I always happy when I look in the mirror? No, I'm only human though. And, you know, like, I look at myself and I'm always a bit like, God, like, don't you wish you could go back to the way you were? But you can't think like that. And you have to remember, like, even if I am on the quote-unquote larger end of the scale now, at least I'm much happier mentally and I'm much more cheerful and I'm not drained and I'm functioning throughout the day and I can still do fitness activities without thinking I'm going to pass out or... I can enjoy food and I can spend time with friends. There are so many more positives to recovery. But it wouldn't be fair to you guys as listeners who I've been open with for this entire conversation and it wouldn't be fair to a lot of my family and friends who have been so supportive throughout my mental health over the last few years who really, to be honest, If it weren't for them, I would probably not be in the position where I am now. I think it is so important to have good support around you. And if you're able to, I know it's expensive and it's not accessible for everybody. Therapy is fantastic. I went and saw a therapist a couple of times and it's not something I do regularly, but I know if I want to, I can always go back to it. But of course, I know it's not accessible for everybody, but it did really help me and it helped me pinpoint what my triggers are for poor mental health and how I can read when my anxiety is starting to hit or what I can like say to myself to help me get out of a rut or what goes through my mind to make me think I don't look good or that I'm not enough. And they are really good key factors. For instance, For me, my anxiety stems from fear. 
And those fears are mostly the fear of being humiliated and the fear of, without getting super deep, and also says a lot about this podcast considering its topics, the fear of feeling unlovable and that I'm not enough. And so now that I know that those are where my mental fears and where my mental barriers come from, I can instead kind of embrace that. And so I lean into being able to make fun of myself and not feeling a sense of humiliation about just anything, conversation, my looks, like I just lean into being able to have more fun with it now. And it really pushes my mental barriers, but it help, has helped me become more confident and self-aware. And then on top of that, the fear of being unlovable or the fear of not being enough, it's a hard one because it's not inherently something that you can only do on your own. It's a lot about the people you surround yourself with as well and what energy you think you deserve. And I think what I've really learned is that without quoting a John Green novel, (laughs) but I will quote a John Green novel, is that you do accept the love you think you deserve and you do accept the friendships you think you deserve. And if the people surrounding you aren't treating you kindly or aren't loving you in a true way where it's like, yes, this is love. Yes, this is unconditional. And this is the way you should be treated. Then you shouldn't surround yourself with that because it will then cause you the mental distress that you're trying to avoid. And I think for me, a big part of recovery was also leaving people behind who were not serving me well. And that's hard. Like cutting people off is so difficult. I had to cut off friends, people I dated, people who were my mentors. And a lot of them, I don't speak to at all anymore. And that was a tough, like probably the toughest pill to swallow because I really cherished the people around me. But I realized that they were not serving my best interests, nor did they even have my best interests at heart. And the only reason I would ever think I wasn't enough or wasn't lovable was because that was the energy that they were showing me. So as I was saying before that, before I went on that long-winded explanation of where my anxieties stem from, what I realized I cannot continue with this podcast without being honest about this because so many people message me. I've said this in my last couple of episodes. I'm so grateful for this. So many people being like, you look like you're thriving. You're doing so well, all of these great things. I'm I'm still working on it. I'm still a work in progress. And to be 100% honest and transparent with the audience, which will also hold me accountable with my health in the future. I relapsed really badly at the beginning of this year to the point where I was like, my habits in terms of my health, I'd say were just about on par with where I was during full-time dance, but in a different way. I was unable to keep any meal down and I was crying every single day and 
my eating disorder really came back in full force. And I think me being open about that is me saying to you guys, this is real and it doesn't go away. And the minute you drop the ball and that yourself lean into the emotions that cause you that kind of stress, you will relapse and you need to find healthy ways to get yourself out of that mindset. I still struggle with it now as of today's date, the day this episode's coming out, it never really goes away, but it's just about finding your coping mechanisms. And for me, a lot of it came from cutting people off. I know that having the eating disorder come back this year in the way that it did absolutely manifested from the stress I was under at the beginning of the year. The audience, you guys know, I was going through a breakup at the time along with a few other things that just piled on each other. And I I don't blame my ex for my eating disorder. It's absolutely not that. It's just that I did not know how to cope in that situation. And the only thing I had control over at that time was how I treated myself and my body. And so I turned to not treating myself with love. And that turned to the eating disorder coming back. And I'm feeling much more confident in being able to discuss this now because I know that it's okay. It's okay to slip up. It's okay to not be perfect, but owning up to it and knowing that I am getting, I'm going to work back at getting on the right path and helping myself and helping others is what's necessary. So for me now, I'm just kind of like the energy I want to put out into the world and what I hope is reciprocated and what I hope brings a better future, not only for myself, but for a lot of people around me and for the community that we've been able to create here is just being able to recognize a toxic culture versus a healthy culture and understanding what we deserve as individuals and what like finding out, I guess, what love really is. And it's not from the validation of other people. And it's not from the dates that we go on and not the dates I go on every week. It's like, I can meet fantastic people along the way, but at the end of the day, if I don't love myself, then how am I ever going to receive love from somebody else that is true and what I actually deserve as a person? Because I genuinely believe that the one thing that every single person on this planet is entitled to is love. And if you don't do it for yourself first, then you will never really get the full experience of love. And so you have to kind of look inwards at what you deserve in order to find it outwards, if that makes sense. But as for toxic cultures, I'm like, we need to start recognizing that being a workaholic shouldn't be normalized and sacrificing your sleep and your health and your weight shouldn't be glorified. And getting ahead of a toxic work culture by burning yourself out is not sustainable. And we see it all too often and we cannot just let people continue this awful cycle of mental abuse to themselves. And instead we need to be looking at healthy cultures and 
you know, quality of life should be expected. Having a healthy quality of life and having a healthy and long life should be celebrated. And I think we do celebrate it, but we also don't normalize it and we should be normalizing it. And we should be encouraging ourselves and others to put our well-being above our work and being putting that in the forefront of our minds. I think for me now, my priority is making sure that whatever I'm doing, I'm happy and I'm comfortable. And I think that is something that as a society – I wish we all focused on. So I guess what I just really wanted to get out of this episode and what I've been hinting at the last few episodes, but honestly just have been too afraid to say is that no matter what you see on the internet of what you think is somebody thriving and living their best life, it's not always real and everyone's got something going on, which is why we should be kind to each other and why we should also be kind to ourselves and not look at somebody else and compare ourselves. And I just hope that moving forward, we also have a bit of an understanding of putting ourselves first and prioritizing our health and understanding that it's the hardest part to seek help, but it is the most important step in the process of recovery for any sort of mental health concern. And if you cannot afford to see a therapist It's like what they tell you in high school when you're getting bullied. If you cannot, if you don't feel like you're comfortable enough to speak to a teacher, speak to a friend, speak to a family member, just speak to somebody because bottling it up is what will continue to weigh you down. I think vocalizing your needs and vocalizing your concerns is the first step to active recovery. And at the end of the day, what I really want to leave this message of this episode with is be enough for yourself first. Everyone else can wait. That's it. (laughs) I think that is the biggest takeaway for me. You have to be enough for for yourself. Don't make somebody else or anybody else, whether it's a partner a family member, a friend, a mentor, do not seek ultimate validation from them. You have to look for it in yourself. All right. On that note, I'm going to go put on my red light. I'm going to take a lovely little herbal sleeping pill and I'm going to sleep because my brain also needs that. And I just hope you guys listen to this episode and really take care of yourselves. I think it's a really busy time of year. Everyone is a bit stressed, a bit burnt out. And it is the most important time to give yourself some love. All right. So thank you for coming along with me on this episode. It is a bit longer than usual. I think I will do another episode with my friend Jessie because I think her message and her story is so important and she inspires me every single day. So this is probably not the last you will be hearing about my mental health journey, but for those who did continue to the end of this episode, thank you so much. It means a lot to me 
and I will see you next week with a more lighthearted topic. All right. I love you guys. Take care of yourselves.